Hey, Josh Felber here. Today's episode, amazing. Lifelong entrepreneur started his first business building uh, speaker systems at nine years old. Um, 3,500 products later, seven to 10 different startups later, Bob Mesta, amazing guy, tons of insight. Uh, super excited to have him on today's episode. Uh, it's going to give you a ton of information on how to help you can grow your business, how you can make sure you are attracting the right customers, as well as how to be an innovator. And he's got a new book that he's dropping. So uh, learning to build. Super awesome. Check out today's episode with Bob Mesta. Hey, thanks for watching the show. Make sure you subscribe, share this with tons of people, your friends, family, whatever that may be, anybody you think this episode can help, as well as the other episodes of Making Bank. And don't forget about if you want some awesome, amazing clothing, soft, comfy t-shirts, hoodies, whatever that may be for you, whether it's gratitude quotes, sayings, freedom gear, show your American support, go check out gratitudegear.com. Again, check out gratitudegear.com and use the code MAKINGBANK in the number 10, MAKINGBANK10 for 10% off your order now. You are listening to Making Bank, where we uncover the mindset and success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business. Welcome to Making Bank. I am Josh Felber, where we uncover the mindset and the success strategies of the top 1% so you can amplify your life and your business today. Bob Mesta, he is a builder, teacher, entrepreneur, author, and co-founder of the Rewire Group, a design and development firm based in Detroit, Michigan. Early in his career, Bob received an education building and launching new products from renowned innovators. The worldview he gained has enabled him to work on and launch thousands of new products over the last 30 years, be the founder of 10 different companies, and become a mentor to the next generation of builders and problem solvers. Yeah. Bob I is also like a, a lecturer at the... Sounds like a mouthful. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, part of me is like, I want to meet this guy, but that turns out to be me. I've done a lot. But I don't, I, you, you don't set out to do it; you just do it, right? And then that's right. You just you just definitely do it. Uh, so I'm excited to welcome you to the show. Um, and kind of dive in. You got some great entrepreneurial background and everything. Yep. Um, similar to myself, I've owned 15 companies since I was 14 years old. So yeah. it's always great finding those other entrepreneurs like what, that. What was your first company? Uh, so my first, uh, other than like cutting grass and those kind of things, I called my first real company when I started, um, the, I was the first Commodore Amiga dealer in oh, my area. So you, wow. you probably remember. If, oh, of course you... I do. Yeah. <laughs> my, so. my, my first company was, uh, I built speakers. So I built like oh, uh, yeah. uh, hi-fi speakers and, and, uh. I started by, um, and in Detroit, we have something called Big Trash Day, and we'd go around. My mom would literally say anything we could fit into the trunk of the Bonneville, I could bring home to play with. And so I collected speakers for a long time, and then I started to build basically speakers uh, at uh, about nine years old. And so I started uh, making speakers, and I was a DJ. And like like you said, it's just, it was in me to be, my mom would say I was an engineer out of the womb, but for the most part, I think I was an entrepreneur by the time I was eight or nine. So. Just always loving to hustle and kind of uh, build, you know, make things happen and make things work. 
That's uh, awesome. That's super cool that you started, you know, that young as well. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, with with the speakers, it was funny because I interviewed uh, several times, but Perry Marshall, and that's yeah. kind of how he got started building the speakers and and, and yeah. uh, audio gear and stuff. Audio gear, like I'm still an audiophile. I I, I still uh, I like to buy vintage stuff and and rehab, almost like fix it up and clean all the contacts, basically uh, change out the tubes, like all that kind of stuff. It's still still a little hobby of mine for sure. So. That's awesome. So you got the speaker business at a young age. Yeah. What, you know, how did that kind of catapult you into oh. you know entrepre- more entrepreneurship throughout your life? Yeah. So I I've been always kind of building fix. I would say uh, uh, I was breaking things by the time I was two. I was fixing things by the time I was five, and building things by the time I was eight. But I've done everything from a, a home product startup. I've done two services startups. I've uh, I've worked for some of the largest corporations in the world and helped them launch products. And to be honest, I've worked on everything from Pokemon Mac and cheese to the uh, guidance system for the Patriot missile and just about oh, everything in between. So, uh, <laughs> I've, so you've got I've, a wide I've, range I've, of experience. I've, yeah. 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 So it's, it's, and, and to be honest, I had, um, I had three close head brain injuries before I was six. And so I, I'm more or less, I'm dyslexic. I can't read, I can't write. And so I had to learn a very different way. And so, um, I found some mentors very early in my life who guided me and uh, I just wrote a book about that and it's called Learning to Build. And it's, you know, I was told to be a baggage handler at the airport as was my career test at the, mm. in high school. And so uh, my mom said, no, that's not what you're going to be. And from there, I've basically gone off and built all these different things. And so now it's about uh, paying it forward because uh, all the things I've learned and all the things that they taught me, it's like, uh, I feel like it's, it's a, uh, it's my responsibility now to kind of pass it on. So. That's great. And what's super cool, you know, kind of you, you're an innovator. Uh, one of the companies that I owned for a while, we actually went and found innovators that had products and then yeah. helped them kind of be the gateway to get them on as seen on TV. And yeah, yeah. so we had the contacts with the guys, a lot of the different companies out of uh they always seem to be in Connecticut and Massachusetts yeah. <laughs> is where all the as seen on TV it, companies was it, are. Was the company down based in Charlotte though, right? There's another one too. Yeah, there's yeah. several, but it seemed to be a lot of them in that Connecticut, uh, yeah. Massachusetts area um, yeah. where there was four or five that we would always be in communication with that we would bring products to and try to get them to pick them up. And, you know, we, we would kind of have an option on the pat, uh, the, the, being able to license the patent it over and everything awesome. else. So Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So, so the, the people always ask why, why in the world, how do you write a book when you're dyslexic? And to be honest, I found a company called scribe media that allows oh, yeah. me to talk my, talk my book. And what they did is they helped me shape who's the book for, what am I trying to do with it? Who's the audience, all that kind of stuff. And then we break it down into smaller systems, which are chapters. And then it's 10, two hour sessions. And then they go off and write the book for me. And if you read the book or you listen to the book, it sounds exactly like me because what it did is they they literally took the transcription of that and then a- edited it so it basically sounds like it's it, like it's all my thoughts but I just didn't write the words I just talked the words so right. it's the way in which I've done my I've done four books I got four like three more on the way and part of it is just emptying my head of all the stuff that I've kind of worked on and kind of helping people make progress if you will no that's awesome I know Tucker he's a he's he's a great guy he's oh he's great yeah yeah yeah, that started scribe there so can I tell the audience a little bit about I mean obviously you've owned uh, multiple different types and styles of companies and everything else what for you was kind of your common success 
thread between all these different companies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I think the the one of the common threads is that one is is I love technical things, but in the end, I really like helping people. And what I realized very early on is that people actually don't know what they want. And if you ask them what they want, they can't tell you. And so I went and learned, I went and learned criminal and intelligence interrogation back in the late 80s on how to actually talk to people about what they're really trying to do. And uh, the way I frame it is what progress are they trying to make? Now, ultimately, that, that people don't buy products, they hire them to do a job in their life. And if I can figure out what the job is, then I can design the product. And so the, the big difference is most people come up with a product and then try to find people to sell it to. And I go sure. find a, a, a body of people who are, who are struggling to do something, and I actually go invent something for them. And then ultimately, that's how, I, that's how I've been so successful is focusing on what I call the demand side, which is where, where do people want to make progress, but they can't. And then it's easy to actually pull the technology together to actually make it fit into people's lives. But if I try to start from the technology side, I literally have to go find, you know, I have to sort through millions of people to say who wants to buy my product and it makes it 10 times harder. And so I, 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 I call it right to left thinking. Most people think left to right where it's like the product and then the market and then the customer. And then, but I think about the customer and the struggling moment and go backwards to, to basically figure it out. And so that's a great question to, is, you know, we think, okay, cool. I love this. This is something that's helped me. And, you know, I got to be able to get it out there and, and, and yeah. share it with the world. So that's kind of the, the yeah. other direction. And so then how do you then turn on, take that and say, okay, we want to work it backwards. Yeah. But then that might not even be the right product that you're even thinking of. <laughs> that's exactly right. So a lot of times, so I have a small design firm right now, and this is my seventh startup. And, and, and um, for me, it's, it's always starting with where is the struggling moment in the market? And then how do we actually then take what resources you have and kind of aim it at that struggling moment? And so a lot of times people will have a product and, it, and they launch it and it fails. And I'll come back and go like, okay, let's look at this thing. We'll actually reframe it around kind of that struggling moment. And we can take something that didn't work because they're trying to make it too big or too, too complicated where, to be honest, I can strip it back and actually make it very focused on something and then help it grow. And so it's almost mm. like uh, you know being a gardener more more so than a, than a than a launcher of products. You have to be able to nurture it. And you have to know the right soil and the right everything wrapped around it to help people kind of figure out how to fit it into their lives. So I've worked with people like Casper and and you know help them build that business. Um, I've 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 worked with Basecamp. I don't know if you know who Basecamp is yeah. out of Chicago. Yeah. I've worked with them. Um, and all these different companies. And it's really about making sure that we understand the demand first and then figure out how to shape the product to fit demand. Hmm. Yeah. And and, really the difference. So like I have a lot of friends and like for me, some of my friends, who just have like all these ideas that, oh, wait, you know, I, I, you know, I could see there's a need in the market for this or this. Yeah. I mean, I, and I'm like, oh yeah, you know, that could be all good. But what, what makes somebody like an innovator? Like, what is that mindset like in their head? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I talk about the, the, there's a difference between an inventor and, and an innovator, right? Mm, an, an inventor okay. has to create a unique way. They have, uh, the, their stuff is usually patentable, right? And that, sure. that's unique and protectable. But the fact is, is it's just a, a different way of doing something. And so part of this is that to me, what innovation is about is it's about actually helping a large group of people basically make progress in their life. 
And so part of this is that most people come up with the idea. And I always think of ideas are really, really cheap. Like everybody can come up with ideas. There's thousands and thousands of ideas, right? But the ones that really hit are the ones that actually land on something where people want to do something, but they can't. And so mm. part of this is to be able to figure out kind of where are those moments where people are struggling or people want to do something, but they can't. And then ultimately figuring out how to design something to fit into their lives. Right. A, a simple example of that is I worked with a company called uh, Southern New Hampshire University. I don't know if you've seen them on TV or anything like that, but but yeah. they I started talking to them back in 2010 when they had about 500 online students. And we figured out, like, how many people want to go back to college but can't? <laughs> and can we figure out a way to actually help them do that? They now have 200,000 students globally. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and so you start to realize like it's, it's not focused on like, so, so what we did is we figured out what caused those 500 people to, to literally say, I'm going to pay to go back to college, but I'm never going to come to campus. We end up figuring out how they actually, why they did that, what they did it for and what they were willing to pay. And then we found other people willing to do it. And the, in the first year, we went from 500 to 10,000. <laughs> <laughs> Right? It was just that many people. So you start to realize it's a much larger market when you say, how many people want to go back to school but can't? All right, now sure. I can actually go build something. So th that's where it starts. And I usually, again, as an engineer and a, I'll say a technologist, I love technology, but at the same time, I, I'm very prone to over-engineer everything. And as Jason Fried <laughs> says, he goes, you're better off with a kick-ass half than a half-ass hole. <laughs> right. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so I yeah. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, you know, taking Southern uh, New Hampshire and yeah. growing that, obviously yeah. you've uncovered social motivation or what, you know, something behind the buyer's purchasing decisions. Right. You said you went to, you know, uh, train with the criminal side of th justice side of things to figure out yep. and uh, help make sure you ask the right questions. What's yep. kind of a process, you know, somebody watching that they can go through to help uncover, yeah. you know, some of what those purchasing decisions, social yep. motivation is. So, so one of the things I, I did is I actually, I wrote a, another book or I got another book that was actually before this one called Demand Side Sales. And it's about understanding, like, think of this, you go to business school and, and there's actually no sales professors. How is that possible? Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's ridiculous. And so what, what I did is I actually documented the process to figure out on how to, instead of selling, how do we just help people buy? And so in that book, I actually outlined the entire process of how I go about actually understanding what, not, not what, how I want to sell, but how do they want to buy? And ultimately, mm -hmm. how do I then design the sales process to mimic the way they want to buy? And in it, it's all about interviewing 10 people, not a whole lot, but just very few people and understanding the causation. What caused them to say, today's the day I, I want a new mattress? What caused them to say, today's the day I want to go back to school? And you don't talk to people who want to do it. You talk to people who did it. And when you find those people, then you can actually say for every one that made it, there's a hundred, a thousand, a million behind them who want to do it, but they haven't figured it out. And that's how I actually f build product, all from that basic premise. And it starts by having very like one hour conversations about behavior, a story extractor to extract what caused them to say today's the day that they're going to stop doing something and they're going to do something different. Hmm. And it's very, very it's and, and it, uh, it's all based. So the, the, the best book that I could recommend on, on learning these questioning techniques is called Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. It's just yeah, it's an amazing. Chris. It's more or less what I learned almost 30 years ago. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things where you start to realize like, it's like, those are just really good techniques and, and methods to actually understand what people are saying and what they mean.
No, hey, Chris is awesome. He's been on the show before. So, guys, go check out Chris Voss's episode on Making Bank. (laughs) You brought him up. (laughs) Book is great. Um, And and we do, we we, we jump into some of those questions and everything in there. Obviously, um, you know, with your new book coming out, um, Learning to Build, right in the beginning, I remember, um, I was trying to remember back, is you guys talk about the whole, the the mention the matrix and the whole red pill, blue pill analogy. What kind of that, what do you mean or why is your book kind of that red pill? So this is one of those things where, where what I, what I did is, so, uh, I'm 57, going to be 58 soon. I'm on my way kind of to, uh, I would say retirement or what's next in a different way. I think it's more about (laughs) teaching. So I'm, uh, I'm now at Northwestern, uh, at the Kellogg school and I'm, uh, teaching there as well. And, and and what I did is I kind of took a step back and looked at all my I have over 870 notebooks from all from all the way back from when I was a little wow. kid. Wow. And I I was as you as your as my uh, youngest just graduated from college is kind of like what am I going to do with all this stuff? And so <laughs> I I went through it and kind of looked at it and said what did these people teach me and what did I learn how to do? And then I actually took like the the top 20 innovators I worked with throughout the last 30 years and said what do they know how to do? That, that literally people aren't talking about. And so it, I came back with this, this five bedrock skills of innovators and entrepreneurs. And most people think about it as a process or a, um, you know, it, it's like you know, a, a tool, but I think of it as skills. And so the five skills are things like one is empathetic perspective. A really good innovator or entrepreneur can see things from other people's perspective unclouded by their own judgment. Like they can actually play the role of somebody else. And they can see around corners because they can connect the dots between different perspectives. What's finance going to say? What's the customer going to say? What's the what's the supplier going to say? What's the uh, you know all these different perspectives you can actually kind of put together? Really good entrepreneurs can do that. Another thing is that they good entrepreneurs and 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 uh, uh, innovators they can actually uncover demand. What's interesting is most people think product causes demand. But demand exists whether there's a product or not because it, it it's all rooted in this notion of struggling moments. And so intuitively, most entrepreneurs and innovators know how to see where people struggle and know how to talk about the problem to solve or the progress to make. And mm. then you start to realize like that's that's a really key skill. A third one is really about cause and effect and that they 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 understand the difference between correlation and cause and effect. And they have mental models to understand how things work and they're curious to find out how things work, right? And, and then fourth one is basically prototyping to learn. What's so interesting is that uh, a lot of people prototype or they do A-B testing. And what you start to realize is that most of the time you're just testing what you believe right? Or what you think is right, like hypothesis mm. testing. And I always say, look, I'm not smart enough to have hypothesis yet. I got to go actually go prototype so I can learn. And so it's methods and tools to actually go figure out how to use prototypes to show me what I don't know or uncover the unknowns, as I call them. And then the last one is, and this is kind of the most crucial one, is really good innovators and entrepreneurs know how to identify and manage trade-offs. They know how to actually decide what not to do, Right. And you start to realize that that is actually a very, very important skill. And when you talk to entrepreneurs and you can see how decisive they are and it's, you know, truly being successful as an entrepreneur, like you, you have to say no, probably a hundred times more often than you say yes. And so Mm, you have to be able to understand that balance between when you say yes and when you say no and being able to have tools and methods to actually help you build that skill of knowing how to manage the trade-offs is, is crucial. And so I kind of packaged that all up and kind of wrote it in a book and then told told it from the perspective of uh, what I call young Bob, which is 
when I was young and how naive I was and how I thought about things to enlighten Bob of how I actually approach things now. And so it's that whole contrast of what are those five skills and how do we learn them? And we all have them, but the it seems like most entrepreneurs and innovators are at a completely different level than most people. No, that's so true. And you mentioned, you know, uh, the trade-off and, you know, that's a super important skill. Kind of, can you kind of expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, yeah. So so think of it as 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 most people think about like uh, if you're building a software product, right? There's all this feature creep. It's like, oh, we got to add this. We got to add, you know, we could add this. We could add that. Knowing what not to do and knowing where to stop and like uh, that whole aspect of how to create the kick-ass half as opposed to the half-ass whole. So for example, at Basecamp, one of the things people talk about all the time is, you know, I'd love to have a Gantt chart. I'd love to have resource allocation. I'd love to have all these other things. But one of the reasons why Basecamp is so successful is the fact that it's actually so simple, your grandmother can use it. And if I start to add all these other features, I actually start to alienate the low end of the market. And so you start to realize that you have to make that trade-off that if you listen to your best customers, they usually actually take you out of the market that you're in. And so part of it is knowing what not to do to make sure that you can actually focus on the market that you're trying to help. Gotcha. And then so taking you know all these five skills... How are they going to help somebody watching, you know, have a better life, a better yeah. business or what, you know, or what, yeah. what they're doing? So, so this is where I, 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 like I said, I think everybody like, so anybody who's read the book uh, and I've talked to them about it, what happens is they'll, they'll say, God, I'm really good at like, you know, cause, cause and effect. And I'm really good at, you know, managing trade, but I don't know how to prototype to learn. And what you start to realize is that, again, I'm not necessarily good at all five. But the reality is like I always build a team that has at least those skills in my in our executive team that enables sure. us to do all of these things simultaneously. And so to be honest, it's one of those things where you need to read it and understand it and then start to practice and hone and refine and go down the rabbit hole to get to that next level. Like the, the, the best way to learn empathetic perspective is to go take improv classes, go actually work in the theater. And you start to realize, like, like as an engineer, they never te- teach me how to see things from other people's perspective. They might, they might actually do that in art class, but empathetic perspective is more of an art than it is a science. And so how do you actually yeah. get out of your comfort zone and start to realize how do you see things from other people's perspective as opposed to trying to convince people of your perspective? No, that's so true. Guys, I hope you guys are really listening to what Bob's talking about today. He's diving into a lot of different areas that can help you help your business. Uh, Make sure to go back, listen to this again, watch this and take those notes and then start applying those. You know, understand what that seller or what your uh, motivation of somebody that's coming to your business, you know, why are they buying those products and then how you can then uh, connect with them through a one-hour phone call and really understand what those purchasing decisions were, as well as really figuring out in your business the five skills that Bob talked about and how where you are with each of those and then how you can actually start to improve and be better in certain areas, as well as build your team around some of those ones that you may be missing. Um, we got a couple minutes left. Uh, what, what's something you're like, man, I really want to make sure I talk about this today or Josh was going to ask. I I was just thinking about that. The one thing I think that, that if I could pass on that I think would be the, has been so useful to me is to realize number one is there's way more unknowns than there are knowns and that, and that you have to appreciate and humble yourself to realize like when you think, you know, the answer, I can almost guarantee you don't. And that you have to actually take the time to actually uh, identify the unknowns 
and most of the development work is about making the unknowns known. And so like, think about it. We plan when we're the stupidest about something. And then we hold ourselves accountable to that stupidity as opposed to realizing, look, this is where I want to start. And this is the direction I want to go. And the fact is, is measure your measure, you know, uh, measure your goals by the progress you make, not by the gap you are from the goal. Because progress, you, you can't even possibly imagine what's possible without like six months from now, I'll be way smarter to know what those goals should be. And so part of it is to think about what progress do you want to make? Don't set yourself just a goal to hit a goal. Because at some point, nine times out of 10, you end up being myopic. And for every goal you hit, there's three goals you don't hit. And ultimately, you have to trade off to get to make progress. For sure. And Bob, tell where can people get the book at? Um, yep. Learning to Build? So, yeah, Learning to Build. Uh, I, Amazon is uh, the primary place to get it. It's uh, uh, Learning to Build, the five bedrock skills of uh, innovation entrepreneurs. The other one is uh, Demand Side Sales, which is uh, Stop Selling and Help Your Customers Make Progress. And then I have a uh, I have a podcast that I do that just kind of uh, takes the latest thinking that I'm doing and applying it. It's called the Circuit Breaker, and so those are the three ways you can kind of uh, find the book and connect with me. Otherwise, uh, if you've heard this and you want to you want to talk, uh, my thing is LinkedIn is the best place to kind of reach out and uh, have a conversation. Awesome! And guys, we got the links right down here below, so go check out. Uh either one of those books that Bob mentioned today that, uh, that, that he's got tons of his insight uh, yeah. over the last many, many years of entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and innovation. Yeah. Bob, thank you for your time today. Really appreciate right. you coming Thanks on Making Bank on, and man. great to have you. Thank you. Have a great day. I am Josh Felbert. You are watching Making Bank. Get out and be extraordinary. Thank you for listening to Making Bank. If you have enjoyed this episode, please leave a review and sharing is caring. Follow Josh Felber on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram for more. You can also listen to Making Bank on Amazon Alexa, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and watch on Apple TV, Success Thinkers Network, Amazon Fire, and YouTube.